We are returning today to our series on Romans, the gospel of God, the glory of a righteousness from God. In Romans chapter 4, if you're using a pew Bible this morning, it's page 941, 941. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? We say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised, so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And to make him the father of the circumcised, who are not merely circumcised, but who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before circumcised. This is the word of the Lord. This morning, we want to uh, look particularly at the question of the title of what we have titled these Verses, by faith apart from works, why drill at home again and again, and you could just keep adding again and again. Why does Paul keep on that same subject again now this morning? And he will continue to do that. Why does he keep saying in different ways the same thing? In the text, he started at the end or about the middle of chapter 3, verse 21, and he just keeps saying the same thing to us. It is by faith apart from works. The last couple of weeks we were together, right before Christmas, we looked at two Old Testament figures that Paul picked out to show in their life that it was true for them. It was true for them. In the Old Testament, in verse 3, he says this about Abraham of chapter 4. If you look there, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And then if you go down a little farther, he's speaking about David in verse 6, and he says, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from work. So we took the illustration of Abraham, we took the illustration of David in those two weeks, where he says again the same thing. It is by faith apart from works. And in fact, in verse 7, it says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered by faith. That was the inference of bringing David into the picture. One who had sinned grievously was that he had, had heavy sin that God forgave. And we looked at that. So the bottom line at this point is Old Testament saints were saved by faith apart from works. Just like New Testament saints are saved by grace apart from works. Just like all men, if they're to be saved, will be saved only by faith apart from works. And he says it again and again. It's the glory of the gospel. It's the glory of the fact that this book is one story and it is the story of God saving a people by faith, apart from works. 
It's clear the longer you read, the, the farther you go in this book, in this story, the more clear it becomes. But from the beginning, it was God's intent to do it that way. And in fact, it didn't begin with Abraham. Though he was the father of those who believe, he, it, it didn't begin with him. It began before Abraham. In fact, I believe it began with Adam and Eve, the promise that God spoke to them. It began way back in the beginning. It was God's intent to do it by faith apart from works. The why of why he keeps hammering it is, I think, summed up by Jerry Bridges in a book that he wrote when he said that we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Every day we need to preach it. The reason he repeats it again and again and again is because we need to hear it again and again and again and need to hear it daily as we walk with Christ. But there's more to that, I think, than just that. I think, I think also part of the reason he is, he is coming back to it again and again is he wants us to clearly see the connection between boasting and blessing between boasting and blessing so I want to I want to talk about that a bit which helps us to go back and review we've we've been off a few weeks and and again we want to look at the context and the connection between boasting and blessing because he has talked much about that if you go back to uh, verse 2 of chapter 4 it says this for if Abraham was justified by works he has something to boast about But the inference of the text is he doesn't have anything to boast about because it is not, it is not by works. And if you go back even farther into Romans chapter 3 and verse 21 where it all began, where he began to turn the corner from talking about our sin and then the remedy for our sin. And in verse 21 he says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. He says more there. In fact, we have said, and I believe it, that this is the most important paragraph in the Bible, beginning at verse 21 through 26. If you miss those messages, you need to go back to them. But at the end of that, at the end of saying it's by faith and not by works, he says in verse 27, then what becomes of boasting? At the end of the most impa- important paragraph in all of Scripture about that subject, he says, then what becomes of boasting? And the inference again is there's no room. There's no room for boasting. If you're a believer today, if your eyes have been opened to see the glory of Christ and you put your hope in a righteousness that he provides for us, you have no room to boast. No room to boast. God has opened our eyes to see it. And God has done the work to provide it. There is no room for boasting in the Christian life. There is no room for self-righteousness in the Christian life. That's part of what I think he is saying. He is telling us again and again, boasting has no place. Why? Because I think he knew that it was a key stumbling block. Pride, the opposite of, bo- of, of, of not boasting, 
was a key stumbling block to the Christian life. It was, it was why people were stumbling over this gospel. It was why the Jews were stumbling over this gospel. Because we are wired. We are all wired to have everything revolve around us. That's, that's what sin does. It, it wants to revolve around us. And what salvation revolves around is God. Salvation is how God shows his glory by saving a people who had no hope. Saving a people who were dead in their transgressions and sin. The glory goes to him. And you see there's a collision course that happens with our glory and his glory. And our hearts are so wired that we don't want to let go of our glory. We don't want to let go of it. We don't want to release it. I think that's why when it talks about sin in chapter 3, in that most important paragraph in the Bible, why verse 23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. Sin is about spurning the glory of God. And we will even spurn it when his glory is about saving us. There's a sense in which people resist God's glory to the point of resisting it to their own doom. God shows his glory in providing a way for people to be saved and we spurn it. We spurn it. That's how serious sin is. That's how seriously we want our world to be the center of the universe and not God's glory. So, we live in a culture like that, don't we? We live in a culture that is, is not attracted to something that destroys boasting because to destroy boasting means to destroy our glory. And so we resist it. We fight it. We, we go against anything, anything that threatens our glory. That's why you don't find T-shirts You don't find t-shirts that have this on them. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks God. By the way, this is all inclusive. There's no exceptions here when when it says it. All turned aside. Whether they have... Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, you can go back to the message when we spoke on that text. And we said more about it than just reading it. But the truth is that doesn't sell on t-shirts because it goes against the glory of man. And even as we listen to it, there's something impulsively that wants to resist God's estimation there in us. Beware, I would say to you this morning, beware. Beware of the subtleness of boasting. You, You can sit here and think, I don't boast in myself. But it's a subtle thing often. Sometimes it's blatant, 
But blatant boasting turns us, doesn't it? If, if somebody stands up in a room and, and it's about them and, and they make it about them and, and it's just, it can be sickening in some ways, people who just have no self-awareness about that. And there's a, there's a repulsion about that boasting in one dimension, but not in another. There, there can be a subtleness of boasting. A subtleness of boasting in us, a subtleness of pride residing in us. And Paul wants to say, fight it, fight it, fight it. Because, because if you don't, if you don't, what it does is disastrous for you. It, it really diminishes the blessing of a righteousness from God. Listen, listen to what Paul writes in Galatians. This particular text that I'm going to read to you talks about circumcision. And we'll go back to the text in the text in Romans that talks about circumcision, but it's talking about those who boasted in their circumcision. Listen to what it says. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may be persecuted, may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. And then Paul says this, and the reason he says this is because at one time he resided in the other plant camp. What he just said about glorying in circumcision, Paul came out of. And he came out of it at the point of verse 14 to say, but far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul went from one camp to the other and he knew the subtleness of boasting. He knew the subtleness of riding the fence in that and being careful about it. So what is the connection between boasting and blessing? What is it? Why did he want to cut the legs out of boasting? It was because Paul wanted people to experience the blessing. And as long as they held on and boasted in the wrong thing, they would miss the blessing. The blessing of the gospel is the righteousness of God that is imputed to us by faith and not works. And by imputed, it means that it is the righteousness of another, the righteousness of Christ, the fact that he perfectly lived, perfectly died, to not only take upon himself our sin and the penalty of it, but to also produce a righteousness that he would give to us. It's imputed. It, it's outside of us. It's credited, or the scripture says it was counted as ours. We are counted righteous because of the righteousness of another. That's what imputation means. And that righteousness is imputed to us as a gift. And in other places, Paul would say, it is imputed to us by faith, but even faith is a gift of God. So you see how boasting just gets knocked out from under all of that. Abraham and David had something counted to them. And what did they have counted to them but the righteousness of Christ who was coming? 
the promise, as Pastor Jason talked about, that was to come. That was what was credited to their account. It's why God passed over sins. Remember in chapter 3? He passed over sins for a while. Whose? David's, Abraham's, others. So that Christ could come and produce a righteousness that would allow God to be both just and justifier of those who have faith in him. So the work of another is credited to our account. That's the blessing that you miss if you try to produce that righteousness in yourself, if you want to boast in something in you that somehow causes you to be acceptable to God. You can't have both of them. The gospel tells us that the only work that can save us, the only work that can save us is the work of another. Is the work of another. The only boast that brings blessing is the boast in the work of another. To boast in anything else strips us of blessing. It strips us of blessing. The work of another credited to our account. I want to look at the text this morning. And there are a couple more things that he says about that in Romans chapter 4. Two more things that Again, just drive home what we've just said. Drive home the fact that there's no room for boasting. And if you're thinking you're going to, be careful where you put your boast. Don't let it lie in you, but let it lie in the work of another. And again, he brings it home. Look at verse 9 of the text this morning. Here's what he says in the text this morning. Is this blessing then only for the circumcised? or also for the uncircumcised. Blessing? What blessing? The blessing of a righteousness from God. Is it it only for the circumcised, or is it for the uncircumcised? Is, Is that blessing contingent upon the work of circumcision, or not, is really the question. Paul says, categorically, in the next verses, no. For he says this, is this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Clearly, Paul says, that the blessing is not the result of circumcision. It is not the result of boasting in your circumcision. But it came to Abraham before. And that circumcision was just a sign and a seal. So what's he trying to tell us there? What is he emphasizing there? I think part of what Paul is trying to put into perspective is the place of works in the Christian life. Does does coming to faith, does, does putting our faith in the work of another leave us the same? No, it changes us. In fact, it says we were, we were created in Christ Jesus, united to Christ Jesus for good works. In other words, works would follow what Christ did in us and for us. Um, we've, we've used the illustration that the imputation of Christ's righteousness is a covering that comes. God gives us his righteousness, but inside of us, 
Also, the Holy Spirit comes and begins to make us righteous, begins the process of changing us. That's what it means to to come to life. That's what it means when you talk about the term regeneration. We're regenerated and and new life begins in us. But, But the grounds of our justification is always that imputed righteousness, never that in inherent righteousness within us that God begins to work. Never can you throw this off and say, I've become righteous enough now to be acceptable. But righteousness does begin to happen, and out of that righteousness flows good works. We begin to be different people. We begin to live different lives. It's, it's a, a sign and a seal. Works are a sign and a seal, really, of, of new life that has come to us as evidence that it has come. One of the ways we've said it about works in the Christian life, works are not about quantity. In other words, don't quantify good works. If you're quantifying good works, then you fall off into the danger of boasting that I have this quantity of good works that I have produced. It's not about quantity, it's about reality. The reality of the fact that God has brought us to life will begin to show. But the grounds of our justification is not in the quantity of those good works. It's in the reality that, that, that life has come, that we've come to true faith and we put our faith in Christ and he's brought us to life. Charles Wesley um, penned a song that said, the title is, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. But then there's a line in there that is so telling about how we need to see good works. It says, he breaks the power of what? Say it. He breaks the power of canceled sin. Canceled sin. Sin that has already been canceled. We've already been credited as righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. You can't fight sin effectively until the sin you're fighting has been canceled against you then you can fight it because you know it won't hold you guilty before God. It won't cause you to be condemned anymore. And you can battle against it. And the battle against sin comes as we come to life. But it's not the grounds of our justification. The grounds of our justification is the imputed righteousness of Christ and nothing else. That's the grounds. Works are about fruit but they're not the grounds of our justification. And so I think Paul here merely is trying to put that in perspective for the Jews particularly, that they would understand that, that righteousness comes by faith, not by works. Again, he says it. The scripture, it's interesting in Romans. um, We talked about this, we began, but if if you have your Bibles open, just turn to Romans chapter one and look at verse five. Paul says that he is an apostle. He received grace and apostleship in verse 5 to bring about something. And what did he become an apostle to bring about was the obedience, but not, he doesn't leave us there, the obedience of faith. The obedience of faith, which is the fruit of one who has boasted in the work of another as as his grounds of righteousness before God. And then if you go to the end of Romans, if you turn clear to the end of Romans, you, 
you have this doxology. This is how he ends all of his writings of Romans. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed and through prophetic writings has been made known to all nations. We're coming to talk about that part, all nations, according to the command of the eternal God to bring about what? The obedience of faith. Those who begin to learn, he breaks the power of canceled sin. And we know the basis upon which that sin is canceled is the righteousness of Christ. And there alone and there only is our boast in the work of Christ. Well, we go on to the second thing here and. I'll do that quickly. The second thing that he drives home here is he's talking about in Romans chapter 4. Again, it's by faith and not by works. Is that he, he says an amazing thing in the text. He says the purpose, the purpose of what we just read about Abraham, that he was justified before he was circumcised, the purpose was to make him, Abraham, the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that the righteousness would be counted to them as well. All men, all nations. The reason that it was before and not after was so that it could be for all nations. You don't have to be circumcised to be a part of this promise and a part of this blessing at least outwardly circumcised. The scripture says it's a circumcision of the heart. It was a picture of what God was going to do in the heart. He's going to circumcise our hearts. But it comes by faith. It comes by faith. Abraham is the spiritual father of all who believe. And of all the things I've said here, the most important is there's a righteousness for God, from God, by faith. But the second most important thing is you can participate in it. I don't think we have any ethnic Jews sitting here today. It's not just for the Jews. It's for everyone. And that is the second most important thing you can hear today. There is a righteousness, and it's available to all nations, all peoples, everywhere. That's what Paul is driving home here. There was a time when... uh, it wasn't as clear that it was to all. Now, the Old Testament talks about it. We talked about it this morning in the Psalms. It, it talked about all nations, but the Jews didn't always understand that. It wasn't clear to them, and many of them got confused. Many of them got confused. They didn't realize it was going to everyone. They, they saw it as their own. And Judaism wasn't a very missionary religion, very missionary faith. In fact, it was hard to make it a missionary faith because in, in Old Testament times, it, it dealt with circumcision. They, they thought it was tied to circumcision. They had dietary laws. It was sacrificially, uh, sacrificial furnishings of the temple were part of that in the beginning. The tabernacle was central. The temple was central. In other words, in the Old Testament, as we said in my Sunday school class this morning, the Old Testament Judaism was a come-see kind of religion, a come-see faith. Come to Jerusalem. That's why the Old Testament talks about Jerusalem. It, It began there, but it wasn't to be limited there. 
And we find that from this text. It was to go to all of the nations. The blessing that was promised to Abraham. Listen to it. It says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. He would make Abraham a great nation, but beyond that, all the nations would be blessed. The first half, in many ways, the Jews God, they didn't get all of the second. But the good news of the gospel is the second part. It goes to all nations, to all people. It's not limited. I didn't grow up in the church. I've told that story a lots of times. Many of you know that. I didn't grow up in the church. I was 18 years old before I came to faith in Christ. And I've reflected often on those early years of growing up and what it was like. And it was hollow. Easter Sunday morning, it was hollow. Um, Christmas was a little different. There were enough trappings around Christmas that it was, it was okay. It wasn't as hollow as Easter. But for some reason, Easter, I remember waking up on Easter Sunday morning, it just felt hollow. And, and I, I can't ex- describe as a child that experience. And once in a while, we were in a church building. I remember a couple of times, two or three times, being in a church building, um, going to church, a couple of times with my parents. I remember one other time, there was a neighbor who invited me to go to a VBS, and I remember taking my mother's Bible, and remember, I still remember the smell of that leather and, and didn't know what was in it, but I took my Bible because they told me to bring a Bible. Couldn't read it. It was King James. I couldn't really understand it but I took it. But there was a sense, there was a sense in going that there was a foreignness about going. Not that it didn't have some appeal and some intrigue, but there was a foreignness about it. A foreignness, because I I didn't know the language. I didn't know the terms. I didn't hardly know the Old Testament from New Testament distinction. Didn't know any of that. And so there was a, there was a, an attraction and yet a foreignness. I wonder if that must have been much of what it felt like for those who would try to embrace Judaism as a come see faith, come see, but intrigue, but foreignness. And I thought about that as I looked at this text this morning, that foreignness, that intrigue, and yet, and that, I'm not sure you, you can do a whole lot about that totally, the church. When, a, for instance, an unbeliever comes into the church, one who doesn't understand faith comes in, I think we need to do everything we can to be warm and inviting and welcoming and, and do nothing in ourselves that would distract from the gospel. But we don't change the message or there's, there's no nothing to give them. But as they hear the message, it, it doesn't always make sense. I, again, I, I think there's a sense in which sometimes God works through that, that the Bible says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And therefore, I invite you to invite people, invite them at Christmas, invite them at those kind of times. Come because hopefully we're going to have the word that will, will work in their life and draw them in. But the truth of the matter is, Christianity is not a come-see religion. It has changed. It is not to be a come-see religion. 
It doesn't have to happen in a certain place. I didn't come to faith in a church building. I came to faith in my high school auditorium because it's no longer a come-see faith. It's a go-tell faith. We're to go into all the world and take the gospel and say, you don't have to be in a church building to believe. You don't have to be in a church building to have the righteousness of Christ credited to your account. It can happen anywhere. Doesn't have to be Jerusalem. Doesn't have to be in the temple. Doesn't have to be in the tabernacle. It can be anywhere. That's why I said the second most important thing you can hear today and anyone can hear beyond the fact that there is a righteousness from God is that you can embrace that righteousness at any time and in any place. That's the glory of the gospel. That's the glory of faith apart from works. You don't have to come in and clean your life up in the church for a while and then be a candidate for the righteousness of God. Sometimes people can get that idea, can't they? Maybe you had that idea. I think I had that idea. I didn't understand. But the wonder and the glory of this message is we can tell anybody at any time that they can know the reality of it. That's a glorious message. And I beckon you to go and to tell it. Let's stand together as we close. Righteousness, O God, holy judge of earth and heaven, forever just and without flaw, only doing what is right in your kindness and your mercy. Your love, we praise your righteousness, O God. We see your righteousness, O God, in the Justify all who trust in the blood.
today, we just affirm to you that, that our boast today is in the work of another, the work of the one who provided a perfect righteousness to all who would believe, a righteousness that he's willing to credit to our account Lord, help us to take that message to the world. Help us to take it to our neighbor and our friends and our family. The blessing of a righteousness from God that is by faith. Go with us now, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in God's peace.